This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast, episode 202. My name is Sam Caston smith and I'll be your host today. Joining me is Will Bushman, our Director of Student Ministries. What are we getting into today? Today, we're going to continue on in the book of Genesis. So last time we... we concluded right at the end of Genesis 29. So today we're going to be ambitious, and we're going to try to knock out a couple of chapters today. Uh, But just to refresh everybody, in our last episode, we found that Jacob has, you know, after tricking his father Isaac to get the blessing and dressing up as Esau, and afterwards Esau wants to kill Jacob, Jacob now finds himself in a pickle. His brother wants to kill him. His mom knows it. And so his mom hatches a scheme. You need to run away. You need to go to the land of my ancestors to get a wife. Jacob does that with the father's blessing, who sends him away with no shekels, broke, no servants, no camels, no donkeys, no nothing. Jacob runs all the way to Haran. And when he gets there, he meets Rachel, falls in love with her. You remember he kisses her and weeps. And then he rolls away the stone off of the well And Rachel's taken by him, and Jacob's definitely smitten with her. And so he goes to Laban and has nothing to offer as a bride price. So what he has to do is to say, well, I'll work for you. How's that? And so they come up with an agreement that for seven years of labor, which is a huge overpayment for a typical bride price, that Laban will give him Rachel. But turns out, on the wedding night, Laban does to Jacob what Jacob did to his father. And Leah, the older sister, who's the unattractive one that Jacob does not want, lays with him. And so now Jacob is required. When he wakes up, he's like, what in the world, Laban? What did you do to me? And Laban is saying, well, we, we always give the older daughter. And so now Laban's saying, you have to work for me another seven years to get Rachel. So Jacob has just had a taste of his own medicine But he's been faithful. He works 14 years and has now got two wives, Leah and Rachel. Literally sister wives. Sister wives, that's right. So at the end of this, he's going to be like, all right, it's time for me to go. Um, And then Laban's got some more scheming to do. But we jump in at verse 31 in chapter 29. That's where we left off last time. And what we're going to find is Leah who is totally unloved by, by it seems like everybody. Nobody loves Leah. Her, you're gonna, we're going to find that her sister Rachel doesn't care for her. Jacob doesn't care for her. Laban is kind of like, we, we got to deceive to marry you off because you're, you're that undesirable. And so Leah is just this neglected person. And it starts in verse 31 of chapter 29. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. And so if, if we're going back through all of the patriarchs and matriarchs, they all have a period of barrenness. Remember, Sarah's going to have to wait 25 years from God's promise through barrenness. Rebecca is going to have to wait 20 years through barrenness. But when the Lord saw that Leah had already been through a long season of barrenness, a long season of pain, he immediately opens her womb, shows her compassion, 
Rachel, on the other hand, is going to go through a period of barrenness. And it says in verse 32, and I want you to pay attention to where Leah's heart is in the story. Because one of the things that you're going to find, like if I were to ask you, Will, who is the most neglected character in this story, who would you say? Leah. And that's what we tend to think. But I want you to retrain your mind and add God as a character here, okay? Oh, like are we talking now that she's going to conceive children or are we talking before? I'm talking through the whole story. Okay, okay, yeah. Well, I, I want you to recognize that God gets a worse deal than Leah, okay? So watch what, uh, you'll see what I mean here as we go. It says, And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. And so what is, what is Leah doing here? She's saying, okay, God has given me his blessing, his love. He's given me something. Now hopefully Jacob will love me, mm. which means God's love's not enough for That's me. right. So that's where, so God, in a sense, is the Leah. No one loves him. No one's, no one's given their heart to God. No one is saying, hey, you're, I'm, I'm yours. I, I'm all in. Like, you're so beautiful. I want you, even Leah, the most unloved, that God pours out his affections on her. Even she is like, okay, thanks, God. Now, hopefully, Jacob will love me. Yeah, he's the classic means to an ends. Correct. He's the Pez dispenser in the yeah. sky. So verse 33, so that's, that's son number one is Reuben. Verse 33, it says, She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I'm hated, he has given me this son also. It, she called his name Simeon. And so, God, you've heard that I'm, I'm hated, so you gave me a son, but that doesn't fix anything either. And in reality, Jacob still despises her. Verse 34, again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons and therefore his name was called Levi. And so you, what do you hear there again? Maybe this time my husband will love me. Like God is just overwhelming me with his affection. Everybody hates me. Everybody neglects me, but God is showing me faithfulness. And this is the first uh, iteration of children won't fix a marriage. It's children won't fix a marriage, and your your marital partner can't satisfy the deepest mm. parts of your heart. Yeah. So you see this, like she's having children, but she's got marital problems, and it's destroying her. Meanwhile, you have God who is just wrapping her in his embrace. He is pouring out his affection on her. And what is what is her heart? It's, it's not enough. It's not enough. Mm. And so she's enslaved to this idea that I need, I need to have the approval of my husband. I need, my heart is going to be satisfied in his love only. And she's looking at God kind of going, eh, you know, this is nice. Thank you for blessing me, but your love doesn't satisfy. And the blessing of God so overwhelming in this case, even she just looks at the history of her her people, like, you know, like you said, every woman in the family struggle with this and God's making it clear, like, I'm not going to make you do this. Yeah. He's just, he's going overboard with his grace toward her. And like you said, like there, there's a, this is a good point to pause and to say children can't fix a marriage and your marriage is not meant to satisfy your heart. Like what, what Leah is doing right now is she's saying, unless I have Jacob's love, my life is empty and meaningless. And if you put that kind of pressure on any other person on the planet, whether it's your child, whether it's your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, whoever, 
they're going to fail you because they're not meant to be the one who satisfies you. They're not meant to be the one that fills your heart. They can't do it. They're fallen, broken people. And when you put that pressure on them to perform in that way, it's crushing. It'll, it'll feel like slavery inevitably. And that's going to be the lesson that Leah learns here. And it's helpful to have this in such a clear way. Like this is such an extreme version of mm-hmm. what we do just in daily life. So mm-hmm. it's good even for me to be like, okay, this is, this is a crazy extreme version. Mm-hmm. Like it's the stakes are high in this one, but it's easy to fall into that trap. Yeah. And you can, you can do it with anything. Yeah. It's like, you know, you think of ministry, you know, I'm a pastor and I think, okay, God, if you'll just bless me, then my ministry will do X and mm-hmm. I make, you know, ministry performance or how many people show up to this or how many listeners you have on a podcast or you start making that the ultimate thing. And you forget that all along the journey, the most important reward, the most important prize, the greatest love you'll ever know is the one who's walking with you through it. He's the prize. You've already got what you want. You've already got everything you need. But it's easy to, like you said, use God as a means to an end. Okay, God, yeah, bless me so I can get what I really want. And what are you saying? I really don't want you. And that's where you have to, it's a gut check. Like, no, God, you're enough. Even if none of this other stuff comes to fruition, you've given me yourself So even in the midst of any failure or hard circumstance that comes, you've already given me yourself. That's enough. Yeah, that's why I've been so fascinated by St. Augustine's, you know, the idea that sin's just disordered love. Mm -hmm. That's so easy to have God on the page, but not at the top of the page. Mm -hmm. So easy to have God on the list, but like four or five down. Oh, it's it's instinctive. Yeah, it's like all these things. God, I, I like you being around. I like you as part of this whole thing. I like what you can give me. I, I like having you, but I definitely don't want to make you number one. Yeah. Yeah. That's the fallen nature of man. You know, we, what does Romans say? We, we worship and serve the created things rather than the creator. We do that all the time. Whether that the created things are people or money or jobs or reputation, we do it all the time. So here comes the point. One, one of the best verses in this whole story is verse 35. So she's, she had Reuben, and that didn't help. And then she had Simeon, and that didn't help. And then she had Levi, and Jacob still doesn't love her. And you get like you walk in Leah's shoes for a moment, and it's like, gosh, like what could she do to earn his love? He just hates her. And then you're thinking, okay, here's God who's pouring out his love. But here comes verse 35, and I love this. It says, she conceived again and bore a son. And said, this time, I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Now, what's really beautiful about this, if you know your Bible well, then you know how beautiful this is. If you don't, let me tell you who Judah is. Judah is the son that will bring forth the line of the Messiah. Mm. The salvation of the world is going to come through Judah. All of the kings that will reign in Jerusalem apart from Saul, come from Judah. This is, we're, we're talking about David. We're talking about Hezekiah and Josiah and all these Solomon and all these wonderful kings are going to come through Judah. The salvation of the world, Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. And this comes, God pours out this great blessing of the line of Judah when Leah finally says, this time I will praise the Lord. I'm not looking to Jacob's love to satisfy me. I'm just going to praise you, God. And God brings forth a son that will save the world through his line. Wow. 
when we reach that point where we're not finding satisfaction in all the other things that we've been trying to give our heart to, it's a good moment to take, take some cues from Leah here. This time, I will praise the Lord and watch what he does with a heart like that. And that season was almost a season of her barrenness. She didn't experience physical barrenness, but it sure seems like a spiritual barrenness. Like she seems like she was suffering the same fate as the mothers before her, just in a much different way that she was having these children still not satisfied, which is wild to think about. You know, and and I think God does that. You know, sometimes I came to faith after getting a lot of the things that I wanted, right? So here's Leah, who's felt neglected all of her life. She's got a plan in her mind that if I could just do this, then I would finally get love. And God says, okay, I'm going to give you all that stuff. I'm going to give you children that you think is going to bring about something to satisfy you. And then she goes down that road, has the kids, and finds out that every plan that she had still didn't satisfy her heart. Does that sound familiar? Like, that's that's my story. You know, I thought the job, the career, the the girlfriend, and all that stuff was going to satisfy me. And I found out going down that road, it's it's empty. It's empty. And until you reach the point where you go, this time I'm going to praise the Lord, you know, that life is going to stay empty. And so in a sense, God is pouring out these blessings on her so that she can realize that as wonderful as children are, as wonderful as marriage can be, they are not what will satisfy your heart. Yeah. God breaks those idols very clearly. in her yeah, life. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, out of his love and his mercy, he'll break those idols in our mm-hmm. lives. Yeah. All right. So I love that. And so verse in chapter 30 we now glance over to Rachel. It says, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. There's just every, every relationship is broken in this thing. So you got, they're not like best friend sisters, you know, oh, hey, there's Leah. Well, know? it's weird that they're competing wives and sisters. It adds another dynamic level to yeah. all of this. They're having a race as to who can have the most children. Like, yeah, yeah, that is pretty weird. But in the ancient world, yeah, no. It was super important to have lots of kids for, for lots of reasons. So she's envying her sister, and she says to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. So deal with that pressure, Jacob. Stressful. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's going to help. But what she's saying there, I don't know that it's just an emotional plea. In the ancient world, the fate of a widow or the fate of a childless woman was very, very hard. Mm. Um. If you grew up, for one, all of your villages, they, they wanted to have lots of men so that they could defend themselves. So if you're not contributing to the population, it's like, well, you're hurting, you're hurting the city. You're not carrying your load, repopulating the city and bringing forth more people. But also beyond that, when you got older and your husband died and there was no one to take care of you anymore, you needed to have sons that were going to be there to take care of their aging mother. And so if she has no sons and she's getting older and Jacob dies, it puts her in this incredibly vulnerable position where it really yeah. is life and death. So when she says, give me children or I shall die, you know, maybe not tomorrow, but she's definitely in a vulnerable position. Hmm. So Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. He's not a fan of that comment. <laughs> and he said, am I in the place of God? Who's withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Like the answer, God, God. you want, you want to take it up with somebody, yeah. go blame it on God. Go to which, prayer. <laughs> yeah. Then she said, here's my servant Bilhah, go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf that even I may have children through her. So this is sounding a lot like Sarah and 
It's like, do they tell they their family history to each other? It's like, are we <laughs> passing any of this down, guys? It, it sure doesn't seem like it. But again, this was, if you go back and you look at the ancient law codes, this is the norm. You go back and look at Hammurabi or the Hittite law code. If, if you had a wife that did not produce children, it was the norm custom for you to take her mistress or her concubine and to have children through her. And was this the servant given to her by her father? Correct. Okay. Correct. So same concept. So here's my servant, Bilhah, go into hers that she may give birth on my behalf that I may have children through her. And so she gave him her servant, Bilhah, as a wife. And Jacob protested and said, no, I would never do such a thing. No, of course not. <laughs> Jacob went into her and Bilhah conceived and bore a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. And therefore she called his name Dan, which in Hebrew sounds a lot like the word for, for judgment. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and I've prevailed. So again, you see this dynamic. They're not, they're not buddies. And she called his name Naphtali. So now we're at six of the 12 sons have been born. When Leah sees that she had ceased bearing children, she's still in the lead. Like if we're, if we're keeping score here, oh, Leah's got four kids. Rachel's got two, if you count the fact that it's through her mistress. But now Leah's like, oh, I need to pad cushion my lead. So she takes her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And Jacob's like, okay. <laughs> then Leah's servant Zilpah bore a son. And Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy and so she called his name Asher. So now it's six to two. Oof. And we still have four more kids to come. So in the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found some mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother, Leah. Now, what are mandrakes? In the ancient world, and might, there might be some truth to this, they were seen as helping fertility and they were seen as a an aphrodisiac that actually, you know, would help you be in the mood. Like they talk about oysters. I've never understood that. Yeah. But these are foods that help you get in the mood. And so then Rachel said to Leah, now. I don't like that Reuben's bringing these to his mom, though. <laughs> it's know. true. This family's getting twisted. Slightly. Yeah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you... Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. Then Jacob came in the... So, so what's going on here <laughs> is you have two wives, right? Leah's coming in with mandrakes. Why does Leah want the mandrakes? So, so Jacob will want her. Uh, so here the, here the dysfunction there. You know, it's an aphrodisiac. The idea is I need something to make my husband want me in that way. Mm. And so she's coming in and Rachel's like, but it also helps with fertility and that stuff. So I need them for me. And so they make a deal. Rachel gets the mandrakes. Leah now has a night with her husband. And it says, when Jacob came in from the field in that evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. Now, if that's not a dysfunctional marriage, <laughs> I have hired you. So you must come in to me. And so he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son from her. 
She said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. And so she called his name Issachar. So now Leah has five sons. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. So we're walking through the tribes of Israel here. Afterward, she bore a daughter and she called her name Dinah, which we'll get into in a couple of weeks with a really crazy story. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and finally opened her womb, and she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. So now we're up to 11 kids all in. Leah has six of the kids and each of the other women, Zilpah, Bilhah, have two. Rachel now has one, and she'll have one more, Benjamin, later on. So that'll, be, that'll round out all the 12 sons, if you're, if you're still listening. <laughs> <laughs> so now we get into this kind of crazy story. So Rachel has finally born Joseph, and Jacob now is saying, okay, I've, I've done my 14 years. I've served you for everything that I owed you. Now he's like, send me away that I may go to my own home and my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I've served you that I may go, for you know the service I've given you. But Laban comes back and says, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. If I have found favor in your sight, I've, I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you, so name me your wages and I'll give it. And so now comes this really, really bizarre story. Okay, so, so now you have Laban who's like, no, 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 I want you to stay. God is clearly his hand of favors on you. Jacob wants to leave, but Jacob's a schemer, and so now and Laban's a schemer, so now you have this you know, Super Bowl of the schemers. <laughs> and so what happens is Jacob says, look, you know, typically what happens when someone's being paid for helping out as a shepherd, they receive animals as payment. So they'll receive some of the, the new flock that's born from the existing flock. So Jacob says, how about this? I will take all of the, the speckled and spotted goats and, and the dark lambs that are born to the existing flock. But here's the deal. You can, you can take all of the speckled goats and all of the spotted goats, and you can take them and move them on, and your sons can go herd them somewhere else, and you can take all of the dark lambs, and you can move them on so that I'm left with no lambs, no goats that are speckled or spotted, and I have only the brighter colored lambs and any goats that are born to me speckled or spotted or any lambs that are born dark, I'll keep, which if you know, genetics, like that seems like a great deal for Laban. Laban, well, if you don't take any speckled or spotted lambs, how are they, how are you, or goats? How are you planning on having goats that are going to be speckled or spotted? Mm. And if you don't take any of the dark lambs, how are you going to have a new herd come along, new babies come along that are dark lambs? So Laban's like, this is a, great for me. You know, the only chance that he's going to win is if the recessive genes and these different animals show, out, show yeah. up, right? And so Jacob's like, okay, deal. And so Laban takes all of these speckled and spotted goats and dark lambs, and he sends them three days ahead of where Jacob's flock is. So there's no chance that they could potentially get together. And then you get this crazy miracle that shows up. In, in verse 37, it says, Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees, and he peeled white streaks in them. So he wants striped goats is the idea, exposing the white of the sticks. 
He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks so that the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, mm. and spotted. And you're going, uh, that's not how that works. <laughs> you know. So this is what we, we can know going into this. Um, and the next chapter kind of fills it in for you. God had come to Jacob in a dream. And if you look at, at verse 9 of chapter 31, it says, Thus God, this is Jacob talking, Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, here, and Jacob said, Here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. So translation, God has already told him that he is going to bring forth massive numbers in this flock that are going to be striped and spotted. Recessive genes are going to win out, in other words. But nobody could see it coming. And so this is totally miraculous. And it's when he's peeling off these sticks, the question is, does that play any role in this? Yeah, is it deception? It, it, or is he like putting down, like showing God, like this is what I want, you know, here's my prayer and I'm going to peel sticks to make them striped so that you get some idea of what I'm looking for. And so like if you if you look at commentaries on this, everybody's totally confused as to what's going on when <laughs> Jacob is, you know, doing all this stuff with the sticks yeah. over the water. And, you know, in ancient times they would think, you know, whatever you were thinking at the moment of conception, like you could bring that about in, in the reality of who your child's going to be. Like if you were saying, I want a boy, I want a boy, I want a boy, I want a boy, at the moment of conception, maybe that would influence it. So some people think that's what Jacob is doing here. He's putting a picture of what he wants in front of the sheep as they're mating. But I, but I honestly, I think what he's doing is he is just putting, it's like a prayer request. It's yeah. like a physical picture of a prayer request that represents what he is hoping from God that God has already promised him is going to come. But here's something that's interesting. Beyond that, Hebrew University did a study on this stuff, um, Dr. Joshua Bacon of Hebrew University, and he found that if you take the bark from these trees, that they actually hold, and this is straight from his report, that they actually hold specific free amino acids such as methionine and choline that trigger recessive genes in the flock to emerge. So there's actually some science behind this, and oh. it's, it's, it still wouldn't account for the overwhelming yeah, yeah. miracle of this, but that they actually do trigger recessive genes. And then the University of New Zealand uh, did a study where they found that the pulp of poplar trees, which Jacob is putting down into the water, is actually helpful as a dietary supplement during mating. And there's this direct quote from his study that this tree fodder reduced postnatal lamb mortality by an average of 34%. And so Jacob actually in his animal husbandry is, is actually there are some properties to this that trigger recessive genes mm. and that keep their the flock healthy and strong. All right, so through this, Jacob separates the lambs and, and all the flocks, and then he begins to mate with the stronger of the flock. So the idea is all of the new babies are being bred through the stronger ones. And so all these new ones that are coming out speckled are all the strong ones. And all the ones that are not mating, the weaker ones, are left to go back to Laban. And so it says in verse 43, Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. So Jacob in this is growing 
outrageously wealthy. So verse 31, now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. And so Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your father's and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So now God is saying, okay, your time here, he spent more than 20 years it's done. working for Laban. It's done. It's time for you to go back home. So one of the things that this is picking up on, and, and this is always going to be kind of in the background of the stories of the patriarchs, is who is entitled to the inheritance? Who's going to take the father's blessing, his wealth, all of that? And so now you have Jacob through this scheme that is now all of a sudden transferring so much of the new flock. All of these new beasts are now coming, and they belong to Jacob by right. And Laban's not getting, all the old ones are dying off, and he's not getting any of the new ones. And so now he's really upset, and all the brothers are going, whoa, 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 Jacob is stealing our inheritance. All these new creatures in the flock belong to him. And so now there's going to be a battle about inheritance. This felt like a tough chapter because we're talking about spotted goats, striped goats. Like, how do- <laughs> you're, you're not on the edge of your seat? Yeah, it just feels like, <laughs> like how, what's an actual application for that in this world? Yeah, I I think, you know, this is one of those chapters where as you're reading it, you're like, okay, let me just skip ahead. Like, let's just get to the next chapter yeah. because I, I can't make sense of what's going on here. He's putting things in water troughs. And and I think what the application is, is that God's going to take care of you. He is going to build you up and he's going to give you everything that you need, even when the circumstances seem like they're utterly impossible. Mm. Like the reality is, if you know genetics, it should not have happened the way that it happened. Like recessive genes don't hit every time like they did for Jacob through this ordeal. And, you know, what it, What it makes me remember is I can look back in my life at times where it seemed like all of the, all of the statistics or all of the, everything was stacked against me. It shouldn't have turned out well where God provided. And one season in my life in particular, like, jumps out at me. And it was when I was a teacher, so I wasn't making any money. Laura was a receptionist, and she wasn't making any money. We were newly married. We had one son, one on the way. And we were, our bank accounts, checking savings, they were all just declining. Everything that I'd saved up before going into ministry was being depleted. And like, we were at the point where it was like, okay, we've got like th- maybe two, three months, maybe. And then we're going to be in trouble. Like we can't afford rent. We can't afford all our bills coming in. And there, and there was nothing like, do I go get another job? Like, and then all of a sudden, we we decided we were going to do one last hurrah. So we went on a date night, and we went to uh, TGI Applebee's. Is where we went. Ooh, yeah, I know, right? Big big spender. <laughs> <laughs> and so we were talking about it, and like I was like, you know, our cable bill, our our phones, our you know, what do we start shutting off to try to cut down expenses? And she was like, we're definitely not cutting into the tithe. Because for me at the time, I was freaking out where it was like, you know, do we just make it up later? You know, can we cut that? And she's like, absolutely not. So she's more godly than I am. We knew that. <laughs> no no surprise. And so what happened, we were on our way home, and we stopped at the Chevron right next to the the restaurant where we were. And I filled up my tank, and it's back way back when gas got up to $4 before. And I filled up my tank, and it was like 16 gallons for $4. And I was like looking at the pump like, what's going on here? And it dawned on me that whoever put it in, instead of saying $4 for one gallon, messed up the numbers, and now it was four gallons for $1. Huh. 
Uh. And so I got like a full tank of gas for $4. And so I go into the cashier and I'm like, you can, you have the, the machines are messed up. Like I just got a whole tank of gas for $4. And he thought that I was complaining about how expensive it was. And there was a language barrier. And so he was like, no, it is correct. It's correct. You know? And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. I, I owe you money. And he's like, no, sir, it's correct. And I'm like, come with me, take him out there, point at the thing. He's still like, it is correct. So I was like, all right, deal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll I take tried. it. We get home and there's a message on our answering machine. And it was a, a good friend of ours who had bought an investment property. And he was like, we wanted to give it to somebody who was teaching at the school where I was working or somebody who was in seminary and you're both. So this is what we want to do. We want to give you this nice house in the Coral Ridge neighborhood for $900 a month, which was cheaper than the duplex where we were by a lot. And he was covering the lawn expenses and everything else. And it was like, holy cow, that just totally changed everything that we were dealing with. My transmission had just gone out at this particular time. And I go into WA and I get called into the finance office. And the guy that was brand new in the finance department spot at that time was like, they failed to give you a raise from two years ago. So every paycheck has been short this amount. And he put the amount together and it was the exact cost of a new transmission plus $40. And it's like when I see God, you know, bringing forth speckled and spotted and striped goats and dark lambs when, you know, genetics and, and the situation says that shouldn't happen. Mm. I think it's showing that, you know what, like we look at the world and we say, oh, it's stacked against us. Dude, God is in your corner. He is going to take care of you. Don't look at the circumstances. Look at the promise. And that's what Jacob did here. Like God said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you speckled, spotted, and striped goats and dark lambs. And Jacob went into it going, okay, Laban, let's make a deal. And he trusted in the promise of God rather than the genetics and the things that he could figure out with his own brain. And that's what faith enables us to do. God is bigger than our circumstances and God can override the probabilities. It is amazing that even, again, Jacob's like his whole story is pretty extreme. It just seems like, Hey, this can't be about us. This can't really have anything to do with anything. But here God is saying, like, okay, I was the God of Jacob. I'm your God. Like, just keep tracking with me. Mm -hmm. Like, just like they're always acknowledging the God of their father is going to be the same today as he was then, we can also trust that. Yeah. Yeah, we worship the same God who loves us every bit as much as he loved Jacob. You believe that? Yeah. He calls himself the God of Jacob, yet his love is infinite. And if mm -hmm. his love is infinite toward Jacob, how much less is his infinite love toward you? It's the same. It's infinite. You have the same infinite pool of love and concern that God had for Jacob that's on you. That's beautiful. It's a wild thought. So take the crazy bets. Trust in the promises. And so now there's going to be a battle about inheritance. It says, so Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times, but God did not permit him to harm me. And he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus, God has taken away the livestock from your father, and he's given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes, and I saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, 
And I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. And so God is looking at Laban, trying to cheat Jacob, and God's like, let him try. I'm going to stack the deck. I'm going to make sure that his schemes backfire in his face. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Remember when Jacob saw the ladder and the angels coming up and down? I'm that God who met you there, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise and go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, again, look at what they're focused on. Is there any portion or inheritance that's left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? Because we're, we're married to you, Jacob, so he, he yeah. hates you. Now he hates us too, for he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money, which was the, the dowry that's supposed to hang around for the bride in case the husband dies or something like that. He, Laban just spent it all. So if Jacob were to leave them, they'd be absolutely penniless. And all the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. So they want even more from Laban. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he'd gained, the livestock and his possession that he had acquired in Potamaran to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. Why do you think she did that? I don't know. It's not just pettiness, right? For a long time, people thought either she's being petty, yeah, right? Like, I'm just going to take something that's precious to you because I'm mad at you. Some people thought that, you know, she's this, you know, she's really strong in the Lord, and so she wants to take away these idols wicked gods so that he can't worship them do you, do you think that's right like that doesn't sound no. like rachel <laughs> you, not, not at this point or the other one is she loves the gods so yeah. much that she wants to take them with her she's she's a pagan and so those were usually the three options that you would find in commentaries going around until about a hundred years ago when biblical archaeology started and we started uncovering all of these ancient tablets that contained the ancient laws. And one of those is called the Nuzi tablets, which was found pretty close to where Leah and Rachel grew up. And it said this, the person who is entitled to the inheritance of the father must take possession of the household gods. Now that just opens this up massively because what is she doing now? She's saying the whole, the whole argument they're having is, we're entitled to the inheritance. We're entitled to everything that, that Laban stole from us. And so when she goes and seizes the household gods and the laws of the ancient world, hers. that means the inheritance belongs to her. If she takes on the household idols, she's entitled to the inheritance as well. So this is a big deal. I have a question. We can cut this out if it's dumb. Uh, why did they feel entitled to any part of the inheritance as daughters? So <clears throat> if we see Laban has sons, like they mentioned them, so what happens when, when, a, when a bride price would come, the father would take it, and it was almost like an insurance policy, right? Okay. So if the son, if, if their son-in-law died, their husband died, this money was there for, to take care okay. of the bride so that they wouldn't be stuck with them, you know, with the expense of taking care of a widow. Okay, so less of a classic inheritance in our mind, like dad passes away, I get that. Yeah. This is more of just like, okay, a bride yeah. price and you know, that kind of thing. 
think like social security, right? Okay. It's it's money that's being set aside for the age when you're no longer able to bring an income in. Okay, that makes more sense. If somebody goes and plunders all of social security to where it's not going to be there for you, you're going to feel cheated like, "Whoa, I paid, you know, this this was supposed to be mine." That's that's what's going on here. They're seeing that Laban has squandered everything that was supposed to be set aside for them and it's gone and they're like, "And what little what what inheritance he has left now that his flocks have been decimated, that should all belong to us." Yeah, because it's not like in those days. It's not like Laban has a savings account of goats and lambs and all that. He didn't <laughs> right, like set yeah. some aside, actually. He's just like playing in his mind that this all exists. Yeah. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. So Jacob, the idea is Jacob in the middle of the night, he doesn't, want, he doesn't want Laban or any of the sons to know about this. He takes his wives, he takes all of his kids, he puts them on camels, and he sends them and gives them a head start. Rachel steals the household gods. And so basically what he wants to do is just disappear. He wants to leave in the middle of the night with all of all that he has, all of his flocks. He doesn't want Laban to have another chance to scheme him out of something. So it says he fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told to Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him, pursued him for seven days, followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said, you be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. I, wouldn't, I, I would cut. like God to do some stuff like that for me. Like just. Yeah, there's some people out there that you're like, hey, just don't say anything to Will anymore. <laughs> that, would, that would be fun. When Laban finally overtook Jacob, like he would have killed him, I think. I think he would have absolutely just killed him, taken his daughters back, all the flocks and everything else. Had God not come to him and confronted him in a dream, this would have gone really badly, I think. It says, now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead, and Laban said to Jacob... Wait, I thought he's not allowed to say anything. Like threatening. Okay. Like you're not, you can't scheme, you can't threaten. I mean, he, he's speaking. You'll see that in a minute. Laban will recognize, he'll admit that God gave him that warning. He says, what have you done that you have tricked me and you've driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. He's starting to, he's pretending like he's the caring dad who <laughs> just really wanted to kiss his daughters goodbye. Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs and tambourine and lyre? Yeah, sure. And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you've gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? So this is like what he's really upset about. Yeah. And he's pretending like he cares about the daughters. He's pretending like he cares about sending Jacob off with fanfare and all that. This is what he's really wanting. Because he even described the real God as like the God of your father, like not my God. Yeah. Like I've seen all these miracles. You just ran me dry because of a miraculous, you know, birthing of animals. And now I'm just like, no, still your gods. Yeah. And the funny thing is if you, if you see these little like statue gods, I mean, they're maybe a foot tall or something like that. They're called teraphim. They're with the ones that we found in archeology span are just laughable. They're, they look absurd, like a sixth grader pottery <laughs> class, but these are what in the ancient world, they believe that this represented the gods. This was mm -hmm. gods to them. So Rachel had taken these gods by secret, and they're small enough, we're going to see, that she fits them underneath her as she's sitting on a, on a camel. 
And so Jacob answered and said to Laban, he's just been accused of stealing the gods. And he says, well, because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. Like, we'll put them to death. We didn't take your gods. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that's yours and take it. Now, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now, Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. So what, what's going on there, Will? Uh, I don't know. I think you should explain the way of the women. <laughs> so what she's saying is, you got to imagine, he's running around going into all of the tents and everything else. And she knows she's sitting on him. She knows she stole him. She put him in yeah. the saddle under her seat. And so he comes to her. She's got you know her robe and everything else is over this. And the expectation is, oh, this is your father. Get down from your camel. Give him a kiss. But she is in the middle of having her period. She's menstruating at this particular point. And so she's like, I can't get off my camel. Now, she's not lying here. You know, everybody knows that menstruation cycles are very well known. Like, they're predictable. They happen usually on a fairly predictable timetable for most women. The family, the household, the servants would have known if she was lying. Like, this was not your time of the month. So she probably is actually menstruating at huh. this particular time. And so now I want you to stop for a moment and think about the picture that's being painted here. She is sitting on top of these false gods, and literally she's bleeding. And what, what does that make them look like? They're dead. Miscarriage. Like she, these are dead, blood-covered gods that are beneath Rachel. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a stunning picture. And Laban, knowing that L- that Rachel is having her period, it's like, okay, yep, no problem there. And in the meanwhile, all of his gods are being very much defiled. And every culture of the ancient world, it was women who were in the middle of having their period were considered unclean. Mm. And so this was, if he had known that she was doing this to his gods, it would have been outrageously scandalous. Yeah, she was in between a rock and a hard place there. Mm-hmm. I mean, but brilliant, brilliant idea. So now that Laban has gone through their whole camp and he's inspected everything, now Jacob's angry. And so he starts berating Laban, probably because Jacob heard Laban say that God threatened Laban. Now Jacob probably feels a little bold now that he knows that God's there having his back. Yeah. He says, what is my offense? What's my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods... What have you found of your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I've been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten of the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you? I bore the loss of it myself. From my hands you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was, By day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I've been in your house. I have served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flocks, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my fathers, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, 
had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands, and he rebuked you last night. Woo! Some pent-up frustration, yeah. huh? This is like, this. he's been dreaming of this moment for a <laughs> while. <laughs> this is like, you know, you finally get the moment to lay down your, you know, epic quitting yeah. to a boss that's been bad to you. Jacob just got some some catharsis here. So Laban answered and said to Jacob, the, the daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone. He set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they, and they ate there by the heap. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and this pillar which I have set between you and me? This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. In other words, like, here's the line. You stay on your side. I'll stay on my side. We're never going to see each other again. Like, this is a lot of animosity here. And so Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, which is just fascinating that that's what he's calling God in this passage. He swore by the fear, God, of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. And they ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose, he kissed his grandchildren and his daughters, and he blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. And so there... We're at the end of chapter 31. What a weird ending to this whole saga. Yeah, but so one of the things that this is getting you to realize is that every relationship that Jacob has comes to a conclusion with the people wanting him to leave and wanting to kill him. <laughs> you know, like yeah, th that's going to happen with Esau, right? Where Esau gets schemed by Jacob and the relationship turns so sour that he's like, I'm going to kill him. Then he goes to Laban. And what happens with Laban is, they scheme each other out. Jacob wins. He's the big winner of the scheming Super Bowl. And now Laban is like, oh, I want to kill him. I want to kill him and drives him away. I never want to see you again. And you're going to see that in interactions still to come, whenever Jacob gets in relationship with somebody, he usually schemes them so badly or something bad happens to them mm. to where they want him dead. They, they want to be done with him. And that's kind of where we end today with Laban. You know, so Rebecca's family, Abraham's family, well, it's done now. Like, here's here's a line. Nobody's coming back for another daughter. Nobody's, you know, none of none of Jacob's sons are going to be going back to the homeland to get a bride. Like, no, here's a line. It's fixed. You stay on this side. I stay on that side. Like, now we're enemies. So Rebecca's brother and her son are now bitter enemies. And so as we're going through these chapters, the reality is this, these are kind of crazy chapters and there's, you know, <laughs> there's not the big hurrah moment outside of the fact that, you know, God shows such faithfulness to Jacob and miraculously bringing him wealth when he was being schemed by Laban into a situation that should have been really bad for him where, you know, he shouldn't have had huge flocks. There shouldn't have been the striped and speckled and spotted goats or dark lambs like he should have left there poor and yet God gave him a vision and says I'm going to protect you from the schemer and I'm going to bring an abundance of life 
where life should be impossible. So you hear that again. Here's a God of resurrection who's saying, I'm going, I, I'm the one who steers life and death. I'm the one in charge of procreation. I'm going to bring the exact right flocks that you need, Jacob. And so you see that theme all through Genesis that he is the one who is over life. He is the God of resurrection. And so where this story ends this week is now Jacob has a boundary and he cannot go backwards. He's just had it out with Laban and he can't go backwards. And then what we're going to find in the very next chapter, as Jacob starts coming home and he can't go back, now he's got Esau coming with an army of 400 men toward him and he's pinned. He can't turn back and go back to Laban and say, Laban, Laban, save me from Esau. Someone else who wants to kill me. He's got to deal with it. And the next chapter is probably the most formative chapter in the entire life of Jacob. It's beautiful where Jacob is going to have a wrestling match with God. And so one of the things that we see here is is the lesson that we saw learned by Leah. And it's a lesson that you keep having to learn, which is if you're trying to find your security, if you're trying to find your identity in anything else than the Lord, your life is in constant turmoil. But when you trust in the Lord, like she did, when you say, this time I will praise the Lord, I'm going to trust in the Lord, there's peace there. Hmm. And there's... There's prosperity in ways that this world cannot provide. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, thank you for joining us as we walked through chapter 30 and 31 of Genesis. Join us next week as we get into what might be the real conversion moment of Jacob as he wrestles with God. See you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.